Hello and welcome to the uh, episode zero of uh, Oral Gex, the number one Gex fan cast, to, to my knowledge. Um, my name is uh, Izzy Kestrel. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I'm Amelia Laserwalker. I also use she, her pronouns. Uh, and we're going to talk about Gex a little bit today, um, and probably more days too, if, if assuming this goes well and it doesn't eat our recording again. Um, so a little bit about me uh, and why you should listen to me. Um, I'm a game developer. I've been doing games for about 10 years. Uh, currently, I'm working at No Goblin on an unannounced project. Uh, Amelia, what do, you, what do you do today? Yeah, uh, I am also a game developer for about 10 years. Um, but these days, I'm spending time more making tools for game developers and educational content. I run Games Cloud Advocacy at a little operating system company called Microsoft. Wow. Uh, so, you know, we both have a lot of clout, um, obviously, obviously Amelia, probably a little more than I do, uh, very well respected, very venerated, uh, game developers. And so, um, I think our opinions about Gex should be similarly venerated and respected. Um, so we'll, we'll just get right into it. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit, a little bit about Gex, uh, my favorite video game character, my favorite character, maybe in general. Uh, so Personally, my history with Gex is that uh, when I was, who knows how old, um, the timeline says I was four, which I don't really believe that I played Gex for the first time when I was four years old. Maybe that explains a lot about me. Um, but my grandfather purchased a, a Panasonic 3DO system in uh, 1993, and uh, Gex uh, happened to be the bestseller for that console. It sold one million copies. Um so my grandfather bought this console, and he was convinced that it was going to be the future of gaming. Uh, obviously, it was not. It was discontinued, I think, uh, three years later. Um, but uh, Gex was a banger of a game, in my opinion. The original was a uh, 2D platformer that had uh, full voice acting, which we will likely talk a lot about as this podcast goes on. Amelia, what's your relationship with Gex? I have almost no relationship with Gex. I am really I'm here, at least at first, to be the the outsider who has no familiarity with the the Gextended universe, um, but will hopefully change that and hopefully play through some of the games. I I think my familiarity basically extends to having read a bunch about the Nintendo sixty four Gex in Nintendo Power magazine. Um, I suspect that was into the Gecko. I don't know if it was the third one where it looks like he's a secret agent, but that's like really the extent of my knowledge. I do own a physical 3DO that I acquired from a thrift store in probably about 2005 for 5 to $10, but I do not have any games for it. Uh, well, you're about to. Um, I think you better hit up eBay right after this, uh, the show is over and grab a copy because I have done a little bit of research because obviously we need to, we, we will be playing Gex uh, as this podcast goes on. And I wanted to know what the best uh, port of Gex was because it did release on the 3DO um, originally, but also was ported to the Sega Saturn, the PlayStation 1, and then also uh, Windows PCs. Uh, and you can purchase the, the Windows version on goodoldgames.com uh, for about six bucks right now. But we really want the optimal Gex experience here. So uh, I did a little research and I found a forum post from 2004 that says the, the 3DO version is the best version, um, according to some guy on the internet. Uh, you can't lie on the internet. You can't lie on the internet. So we'll, we'll take that at face value. Um, and hopefully we can hook you up with a, a hard copy of Gex. Or maybe one of our many fans 
uh, would be able to ship you a copy or something. I'm sure that's possible too. Um, so yeah, I mentioned I, I played Gex a lot when I was a kid, um, and then it's kind of become a, a mild obsession for me. Um, I use the word mild very mild mildly. Uh, I am self-titled uh, Gex's number one fan. Uh, no one's really debated me on that yet. I just put it in my Twitter profile, and uh, that's just fact as far as I'm concerned now. Um, I've also done probably too many tweets about Gex. If you do like a, a name search, a word search on my Twitter and look for the t keyword Gex, uh, you will find a lot of tweets. Probably the thing I've, the single topic I've tweeted most about um, out of anything in my, my 10, 15 years on Twitter. Um, I, I once uh, hosted a Gex Week. Gex Week was in the middle of February. Um, and that culminated in me doing a presentation for my then employer, Phenomena, uh, and basically to, to introduce them to Gex, to spread the word of Gex, uh, and then try to convince them to uh, purchase the rights to make Gex 4, um, which I'm sure we will talk more about uh, Gex 4 as it goes on, which I don't believe is a real thing yet, but could be. So you were, so you were not successful in convincing Phenomena to try to acquire the rights? No, I was not. Um, and it's, you know, there's a lot of, uh, still a lot of questions about the reasoning behind Phenomena's closure, but I can't help but wonder if maybe that was part of it, that maybe Crystal Dynamics or I guess uh, their then parent company, Square Enix, um, I believe uh, Crystal Dynamics is now owned by Embracer Group, uh, so they've changed hands since then. But I'm not ruling out the possibility that Square Enix sued Phenomena because I was getting too loud about Gex um, without any actual rights, and uh, that's probably why they closed. You know, not any of that. Yeah, other that stuff. tracks. Yeah. So the, uh, was was the February date meaningful? Is there deep Gex lore for that week in February? Uh, so the main thing is, uh, basically, that was around the time that they agreed to foolishly agreed to let me do a micro talk about Gex. Um, but also I, uh, a number of years ago, I created a, a hastily photoshopped, um, Gex Valentine that, um, if I'm remembering what, what it says correctly, it's, uh, you can't spell sex without two thirds of Gex. Um, and probably still one of my best tweets to this day. I don't, I think I maybe peaked at that point. Um, but that was how I kicked off Gex Week, but was by retweeting that and saying, hey, it's Gex Week. I'm deciding this now because I'm Gex's number one fan, and I can do that. You have the authority as the resident Gexpert. Yep. That is me. I am the resident Gexpert. Um, so that's kind of uh, mostly what we had in the docket for this, just kind of talking about Gex and talking about what we plan to, to do with Gex, which is mainly play his games. Um, we're still kind of feeling out the format, uh, how frequently we want to release these episodes, how much the fans are craving it. Uh, we want to give you what you crave. Uh, so we will give you as much or I'm not going to say as little because I'm going to probably want to do a lot. Uh, we'll give you as much oral gex as you want. Um, and we'd ask that, you know, if you want to write in and, uh, be like, Hey, uh, I would really, I have this great memory, fond memory of gex. Um, and I want to talk about my, my Gex memories with you and, uh, talk about them on the pod. Like, please go ahead and email us at, uh, questions at, uh, oralgex.com. Uh, you can also DM us on Twitter. We're at oralgexpod. Uh, but 
yeah, I guess uh, if you have any thoughts or feelings about how we should be doing the format of this podcast, we're open to it. But I think kind of what our plans are is to do sort of a playthrough of the first game. Um, still kind of figure out the pacing of that, maybe do like one of the, the worlds um, each time and then kind of talk about it. Talk about how possibly problematic it is because I know there are some there are some rough ones in there that we'll probably have some feelings about. Uh, but uh, Amelia, do you have any any strong feelings about um, your first experience with Gax and how you want to uh, engage with it? Um, I just want to dive right in. I am I'm curious to see how much of it holds up and how much of it feels problematic, even though it is a game that is rated ESRB for kids with something like comic mischief and mild violence. I, I suspect we are going to find a lot of the voice acting kind of rough. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I've, I've been doing a little digging through the voice clips and kind of seeing what's what's good and what's not, you know. Um, and I would say a, a lot of the jokes still hit for me. Maybe it's just because I have a, an affinity for for the, the, the green gecko. But... Um, th- Amelia, do you know much about the the backstory of Gex or like his the lore of the Gex world? I know, again, coming from a history of having read a Nintendo Power episode or issue about either Enter the Gecko or Gex Three, mm-hmm. there is a remote control that somehow this magic remote control causes him to get teleported into television worlds. So my vague understanding of the structure of any given Gex game is there is a series of worlds, each of which has some sort of genre tropey theme. Um, I don't know why we're going into these worlds. I don't know if there is a big baddie. I don't know what gameplay is like other than presumably a platformer, but even then 2D platformer means many things. And I'm expecting this to be maybe, I'm not saying I expect the platforming to be bad because I don't, but I don't expect it to necessarily be on par with a Mario. Well, it did sell 1 million copies. Uh, so I want you to keep that in mind. It was very popular. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we need to, you know, talk about the Mario or Sonics of the world. This was definitely... Um, I, I still believe Gex is in the same uh, echelon of them. You know, they're they're kind of in the same power ranking as far as I'm concerned. But uh, I understand... Like yeah, he's pretty cool. It's well, it's like you know, Sonic also had like he was kind of like a dude with attitude, right? That was kind yeah. of his whole thing. And I think Gex is very much in that same vein where it's like Mario's like a little too, he's got a little too much boomer energy, you know. Like we need to bring that back a little bit and be like, hey, hey, kids, uh, you know, it's like adding the Poochie to the Itchy and Scratchy yeah. show. It's that kind of that kind of vibe. Yeah, um, I, I will be like not knowing what happens yet. I will be ecstatic if if I stand still and don't move in the game for like twenty seconds. If he like says something snarky to me to get going, that's a very good question. I feel like he probably does, but um, I guess I should clear be clear. Uh, I have I have played the Gex games um, many times over the years. I've kind of booed them back up uh, when I was a kid, uh, as as kids are are want to do on old video games that they own. Um, or I guess not all the time, but, uh, you know, those retro games where there's like no saves and the things aren't as persistent. Um, I recall playing, replaying the first level of Gex or the first like set of levels many, many times. I don't remember going too much further past that. So I actually don't know if I could say, despite being Gex's number one fan, um, I don't know if I could say that I have beaten Gex one at any point in my life. Um, I've certainly played a lot more Gex two. 
And I had mixed feelings about Gex 3 because I think Gex 2 is just such a, you know, singular, beautiful, perfect experience that, like, it was hard to, like, revisit that. Um, That's also just wild to me that for a Sega, or not a Sega Saturn game, a 3DO game, I guess there was a Saturn port as well, but, like, that is pretty late in video game history to not include saving. <laughs> yeah, well, and the thing is, I, I believe that the PlayStation version had password saves, um, and I think that if i remember from what i was reading earlier i think the 3do version does have a saving system but it is um kind of that resident evil vibe where you have to like you have to collect these videotapes and then like maybe use them like it's Mm -hmm. an expendable resource to do your saving um so it's not just like you know you beat your head against the wall and try to make progress and you play and play and play and you're just going to keep moving for moving that that uh that measure forward moving the needle but like it is you get a tape and then you have to kind of decide when you want to save um if you're stuck on a level and you don't have a tape or something you might just have to lose that progress because you know like you have to go to school or your pizza rolls are ready you have friends coming over you know things like that it's just it's not very conducive to like a modern lifestyle right yeah gex uh gex is interesting to me for a lot of reasons obviously because he is a um anthropomorphic gecko which is always fun i I love a i love a animal mascot um i was also a big sonic fan when i was a kid uh and you know i gotta say like as a kid i didn't really appreciate gex as much as i should have like i had a wall of sonic stuff i was obsessed with that blue hedgehog i had all the comics i still have stacks of comics somewhere um i played all the games i think i still have my original genesis set of games for for sonic um but he he was definitely more marketed towards my demographic, right? And Gex was like a little bit, I think skewed a little bit more more older. Like you mentioned, like the you know the rating is for kids, but you know he's um he's a wisecracking gecko, uh, voiced by Dana Gould. Gould, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. I should figure that out before we get him on the pod. Um, and uh, he's a comedian uh, that worked on the. He was a writer for The Simpsons, I believe, and has done a lot of other uh, interesting things in his career. But um, if you go search his name on on uh, Google, uh, the top of his notable works is Gex. So people remember him. They know that he worked on Gex. Um, got a very distinct voice. And uh, basically, his whole role, I think, in the games and his doing the voice acting. Is they just kind of told him to roll with it and just kind of like do a bunch of goofs and make funny voices and jokes. Yeah, like um, he has a writer's credit on Gex One as well. Yes, which I think is very telling. Yes, he's he's um wrote a lot of lines. He like did a lot of the I think a lot of the character building that is Gex. Um, and you know I've certainly read about like the backstory of Gex, like developer history. Um, it was a totally different game before they decided to to make it Gex. Um, I believe it was called like Gecko X or something. And the idea was that he was going to be a, uh, a stunt man. And so you would go to different levels and do like, you know, the Western scene where you have to like ride a horse and like bail off the horse or something and do like crazy stunts. Um, and we'll probably talk more about that as we, after we play the main game and we'll go back and like read these notes and kind of think about what Gex could have been. Um, but my my understanding is that it just wasn't very fun to do these stunt levels and it was very difficult to like to it, that kind of thing is grounded so much in realism right where you're like doing stunts and you have to like do things it's hard to make yeah a like that, that 
that feels like a type of game that could be really fun right now with modern technology, but trying to make that as a 2D platformer sounds challenging. Yes. Uh, and I, th- I think that was kind of where the, the developers landed on it. They were like, let's try a different direction. How about he's just like going to TV land and like playing around? Because they were like, there's like a magical realism element where he's like zapped into the TV and he can like go to different levels and do whatever he wants. So, you know, you can teleport him around by turning him into static and zipping him through the electric, like the, the airwaves or whatever. I really like describing this game as part of the lineage of magical realism. Um, I definitely believe it is. Uh, I should we talk about the lore of Gex a little bit more, like the just kind of the intro. Obviously, we're going to learn a little bit more about him when we play the games, but there is a lot of information that is not explicit in the games, not through cutscenes or whatever. Um, is this the time to do that, or should we wait for episode one? I guess a good question is: Does it make sense to set this up before we play, or is this something you want to go sort of in media res and then pull back and say what's actually happening here? Uh, funny you should say in media res because res is actually the name of the, the main bad guy in the Gex <laughs> games. Um, and he he also goes to the media dimension, I believe, is is the flavor of the the world. Um, so so my thinking is like this kind of stuff is, to my memory, the stuff that you would you know, you you head over to the the EB Games, um, yeah, your Funko Lands, uh, the Circuit City, the Funko Land, whatever you're getting your games from. You know, you you uh, your grandfather just bought a brand new. Uh, 3do console for 699 us dollars um and probably paid another 80 dollars for a copy of gex and uh you know you you are on the way home in the car and you unwrap your copy of gex and you pull out the instruction booklet and you start kind of thumbing through it right and you're reading about you know all the cool moves he has like his tail whip and then he can like eat flies and stuff um and there's a little blur about the story uh and that's kind of where this stuff is coming from right where this is not the kind of thing that you're going to get from the game because the intro is pr- the intro cutscene is pretty short and pretty to the point and then you're kind of right in the action you start playing uh but this stuff is a little bit i think lesser known i don't think a lot of people that played gex even rented it from blockbuster probably didn't get the instruction booklet with it um i don't think they know this stuff so is this maybe this is a, a good place to talk about that yeah i think that makes sense okay so let me just uh, read a little bit from the Gex uh, Wikipedia page yeah, here. I guess while, while you're pulling that up, I sort of a, a thread that I do want to pull on while we're still sort of sort of thinking about like the voice acting is like, as we talk about this and play this, I'm really interested to see how this fits in like 3DO, Sega Saturn. These were very FMV heavy platforms. This was the era of like multimedia games. And like, this is obviously not that. It is a 2D character platformer. But the extent to which it relies on voice acting feels like it sort of nods to that tradition of like, how do we make an FMV platformer without it being absurd? <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I think that's the thing that's really compelling to me about Gex is that it it is hitting that space. And obviously, you know, I played a lot of FMV games on the 3DO as well. It's it's a, a genre that that really uh, hits home with me. But um, you know, the gameplay of those games always fell short. And Gex is a game where, you know, it's a platformer. It's, like, pretty traditional fare. But it is augmented, I think, by this fact that you have these, like, full, you know, digital voice clips that are, like, that you have the CD space now to, to pack in all this data. Um, and I think they, they struck the right balance, right? Where it's, like, the game is actually good. Um, we're going to do, like, a good video game. 
but also we're gonna like add all those voice lines and like give it that kind of production value that an fmv game you know would attempt to have but kind of be lacking in in the end yeah so um this is the plot section from the the gex uh, wikipedia page uh gex a young anthropomorphic gecko lives by himself watching television eating snacks in his mansion in uh maui hawaii uh he acquired this mansion by inheriting a large sum of money following the death of his great uncle while looking for a good show to watch uh after doing some nude funker sizing i do quotes there um he consumes a passing housefly the housefly turns out to be a small under undercover drone controlled by rez the overlord of the media dimension uh, so this is where Gex gets sucked into the media dimension, and then he has to go, you know, find all these remotes to kind of fight his way back out. Um, and that's kind of how the game starts, right? Is you have this little cutscene setting up like, oh, you know, I'm sitting in my mansion eating snacks, and then I get bugged and I get sent into the, the media dimension. Um, now, what they don't really get into here is that, uh, and now I'm pulling from memory because the Wikipedia page was not as in-depth as I was hoping it would be. Um, I believe that Gex's father worked for nasa of course um like you do was his father a gecko you know it's not explicit i i I believe his other family members are geckos so it would stand a reason that it's all geckos all the way down uh but his father worked for nasa and his father went to space on an expedition and the rocket exploded and he died um so gex has a very tragic backstory and the reason that his um you know he has this big mansion he's watching tv all the time he actually falls into watching tv as a coping mechanism to deal with his father the loss of his father he's like i don't want to you know he's very depressed he's like i just want to sit all day and watch hbo and just invest myself in all this fictional reality because my like true life is just too tragic for me to even handle anymore um and i think that's going to be an interesting like kind of plot thread to follow through is like throughout the course of gex one to gex two to gex three is there development in in gex's anxieties in his trauma does he actually improve over time or does he just sink deeper into his uh fantasy of being like you know on every tv show ever made yeah does this also this feels like a metaphor for sort of young cis white men being radicalized into the alt-right movement yeah i agree i think there's a lot of interesting depth uh in in the narrative um of these games like i think mechanically mechanically i believe that they hold up i think that the second game is the peak for me i believe that when they move gex to 3d and kind of give him a um it becomes more of a, a mario 64 kind of fair where there's like a lot of different worlds to go into and you're revisiting the same places a lot, but you have different objectives. Um, I think that's really like a beautiful, you know, spot to hit. Just just as Gex uh, sort of uh, took the basic the basic uh, uh, thing that Mario was and kind of elevated it with voice acting. Um, I also believe that Gex two elevates Super Mario sixty four in a, in a meaningful way, which is also cool because I feel like. There are a lot of platformers from like the Super Nintendo era that hold up really well, but I feel like a lot of 3D pr- platformers from that early N64 PS1 era 
tend to not hold up as well in retrospect. So I'm excited to see if this is an exception to that. Yeah, yeah, me too. And uh, as I mentioned, I have played it uh, a handful of times in the intervening years, but it's been it's been a minute at this point, and I think it's it's uh, it's going to be exciting to kind of come back to it and with some fresh eyes. Um. Cool. Any other any other specific topics you want to get into before we like really dig into the uh, the meat uh, in in future episodes? I feel like I'm mostly just itching to get in and play. Yeah, certainly I'm feeling the the fever uh, at this point. Um, again, I want to mention, folks, uh, if you are dear listeners, if you would like to play along with us. Uh, you can purchase the game on uh, GOG.com. Uh, it is $5.99, I believe, uh, US dollars right now, but it, it does occasionally go on sale. Um, yeah, I think it is It is showing us $6.99 Canadian for me, but when you sent me the link two or three days ago, it was less than $2. Yep. Uh, and obviously, if you have a, you know, a 3DO or a PlayStation or a Sega Saturn lying around, probably probably stands a reason you could hit your local used game shop and find a copy for not too much money you know i'm sure it's not a hotly collected item i will also be extremely impressed if people who are playing on console are playing on 3d or saturn versus ps1 which i feel like is by far the more common one to own <laughs> yes uh if if you uh want to write into us and again like i want to know anything you know about Gex 1 or Gex 2 or Gex 3 or just anything about the Gex series in general, if you have any fond memories. Um, but specifically for our, our first episode, if you want to write in and say, just let us know what platform you played on and uh, which one you remembered on. And also if you have played on multiple or if you have like a, maybe you had a friend that had a Sega Saturn and you had a PlayStation and you both played Gex and you like traded notes about it and talked about it. Um, you know, what was different? I know that with the um, the first game, as far as I'm underst- understanding, I think it's mostly identical all the way around. Um, with the second game, there are some interesting differences because it was on a PlayStation and uh, Nintendo 64. But, of course, Nintendo 64 cartridge had less storage space than the, than the PlayStation. So, you know, they recorded something uh, around the ballpark of like 500 unique voice lines for, the, for Gex 2, and they had to cut uh, more than half of them to fit in that cartridge. So I know a lot of people played Gex on 64, and they have fond memories of that. But also, I would say you probably didn't get the full picture. I feel like maybe uh, it's an inferior version. Uh, that's 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 my bold claim that I would make today. I'm also really curious to see both Gex 2 and Gex 3 had versions come out for the Game Boy Color which is, of course, going to be a drastically different experience, and whether whether they are even, quote-unquote, the same game is probably questionable. But I think that'll be something fun to explore when we get there. Yes, yes, I agree with that. Um, I have traditionally written those games off because, of course, being Game Boy games, they do not have any voice acting. Um, I'm not even sure if they have that good, like, hyper-compressed, you know, like... Uh, pr- pr- like, fake voice acting, like, the any, any level of voice acting. I think they're completely um vacant in that space but uh you know what maybe i haven't given them a good enough chance maybe it's it's uh something we could revisit and talk about because yeah i'm i'm always a booster for weird game boy ports of games i have high mm-hmm. hopes yeah me too um 
All right. Well, uh, if you don't have anything else that's, that's kind of burning, I know, I know kind of at this point you're just like ready and raring to go to play play the game. Uh, so maybe we should uh, end here and kind of let the people get to it. Yeah. So the one, the one thing I will add is as I am looking at info on the different ports of the original Gex, the mm-hmm. PS1 and Saturn ports were made by Beam Software, um, which... I suspect most people listening to this will not obviously know their name. Um, oh, huh. This is what I get for trying to read read up on this research in real time. I'm trying to figure out. So their biggest claim to fame was The Hobbit from 1982, which I'm trying to figure out. Yes, this is the famous Hobbit. Um, if you are into the history of weird computer games, you may be familiar with The Hobbit because it was a deeply systems driven text parser game where instead of just being like, here is a roller coaster ride of the story of the Hobbit. They're going to take you on. You are running around a complex simulation with simulated characters who have different wants and needs and who move around autonomously, um, which is, you know, extremely ambitious for 1982 and resulted in a game that in many cases was almost completely unplayable as they ran into classic simulation issues of, like, well, whoops, these two characters killed each other or so- somehow put the game into an unwinnable state while they were off screen because the simulation was sufficiently complex and you as the player have no idea what's going on except that you can no longer win. Um, so definitely like a weird cult classic moment in computer history. And interesting to note that they are the people who ported Gex to PS1 <laughs> and Saturn. <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, that's going to be an interesting side effect of this podcast is we're going to um, kind of... You know, this is really going to be a deep dive, uh, really uh, just everything Gex. We want to know everything and anything and everything about Gex. Um, there are definitely going to be times that we pull on a thread. And sometimes it might not lead anywhere. It might just kind of hit a dead like a, a, a dead end and just, you know, you know, get back to the game, I guess. Um, but, you know, a lot of people work on video games, right? A lot of people have made these video games, a lot of like moving parts to make a video game happen. Um, and obviously, you know, we're going to focus a lot on the, the voice actors that, that played Gex and like kind of the key, uh, developers and the big company names like Crystal Dynamics, but also, you know, maybe we can find some people that, that are lesser known and haven't had as, as, uh, you know, I don't want to say prolific careers, but like maybe less, less, uh, people that you think of when you think about Gex that also like were an important part of making, making that game happen and bringing it to the masses. Uh, we want to know those people. We want to talk to those people. So if you uh, have any connections to Gex or Crystal Dynamics or, you know, um, any any of those uh, moving parts, please let us know. We want to we wanna talk to you. Uh, and again, you can email us at questions at Gex, uh, sorry, questions at oralgex.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at oralgexpod. Uh with that, I think we're going to close it off for now. Yeah, I think the one other thing to note is hopefully by the time you are listening to this, you are listening to it on your podcast app or platform of choice. Be sure to subscribe so you know where to find episode one as soon as it publishes. Um, and if you liked this episode zero, rate us and review us so other people can find out we exist. Yes, thank you. All right, I'm Izzy Kestrel. And I'm Amelia Laserocker. Uh, and have a extra special day. We'll workshop that one.